Chelsea Fairless, Aloha bitch, <laughs> and welcome to another episode of the Every Outfit Podcast. Chelsea, I've not seen you because, yeah, as the Aloha may have indicated, you were in Hawaii. I don't really have much to report. I mean, I'm happy that I have a tan that wasn't spray painted on my body by a technician. That's lovely. It is lovely, but it was just really chill and beautiful. And Tat was there for work, and I tagged along like the parasitic freelancer that I am. <laughs> so she actually had to do shit. I could just lay by the pool and drink cocktails all day. Yeah, this was a rare year that you spend Valentine's Day together. And I, I thought it was a little rude that I was not invited in on these plans and I was left to fend for myself on Valentine's Day. I know that's so fucked up because we've spent the last how many together? It has not been consecutive, but yes, a lot of them. And last year you and I saw Jackass Forever. Maybe the best Valentine's Day I've had. But you know, I'm on I'm on eHarmony, so here's hoping <laughs> 2023 is my year, baby. So shall we get straight into the Super Bowl? You mean the Rihanna concert briefly interrupted by a football game? Yeah. Yeah. God, I forgot how boring football is. Yeah. I had it on the background because I was cleaning my house. So it was the perfect just background moving from room to room, just checking in on the commercials, which I would love to discuss. But obviously we should discuss Rihanna. Sure. It's clear Rihanna doesn't want to be doing music anymore. It kind of makes me love her more, though. I agree with you because honestly, there's nothing for her to gain at this point to put an album. Too much time has gone by. Well, it's more like maintenance for the other business ventures. It's like you put out a song every year so that people still buy the makeup. Oh yeah, I mean, she wasn't paid for this performance. She did it to promote Fenty and it did exactly what she set out to do. Google Trends surged in the hours afterwards. As they say, you can't buy that kind of advertising. No, you can't. I love Rihanna. I think she's an incredible artist. Her Super Bowl performance did display a much higher taste level than we get from most performers in terms of like the sets and the costumes and stuff. But I have a very like don't ask, don't tell mentality around lip syncing. You can do it. I just don't want to know that you're doing it. And you felt like she was flaunting it in your face? Well, the reality of this situation is that every Super Bowl performer lip syncs. It's an insurance thing. And I'm not bringing this up to sort of like disparage Rihanna, Whitney Houston also lip synced the Star Spangled Banner. Oh shit. That one time. So that's how long this shit has been going on for. And that's the reality of the situation. But you just wouldn't know that Whitney Houston was lip syncing because she doesn't move her face away from the mic. I just have assumed even looking at the VMAs or the Grammys or any live performance that also has a lot of choreography and movement that yeah, there is lip syncing going on. There has to be. Did you believe the theory or the belief that the backup dancers all in white kind of marshmallow outfits were signifying sperm going towards. Okay, that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Have you not seen this discourse? No, so it's like the beginning of Look Who's Talking or something. (laughs) That it was all a very artistic, metaphorical performance announcing her second pregnancy, which I have to say... I took the L in the group thread and like a a minute and a half in was like, I just got to say it and be this person. Is she pregnant or is this the most ill-fitting jumpsuit? It's funny because my reaction was like, you know what, Lauren? Like, don't be a bitch. Like, (laughs) 
<laughs> women shouldn't have to bounce back immediately after their pregnancies. And then like 10 minutes in the, into the performance, she actually turned and I was like, oh, like she is obviously pregnant. Look, at the end of the day, I'm just so happy to see her. I was literally a different person when Anti came out. I had a different job. I lived in New York. I hadn't even started dating Tat yet. That's how long ago it's been since she's released an album. Any scrap that I can get at this point is a scrap that I will take. Well, I was thinking about other historical examples in music of people that have had long gestating albums, and it never ends well. And maybe I'm showing my age as a middle-aged millennial, but... Guns N' Roses? Well, there's Chinese democracy, which, yes, when Guns N' Roses broke up in the early 90s, from, like, the early 90s to, like, 2011, whenever Chinese democracy came out, Axl Rose was like, I'm working on this album, and it was fine. Has a long gestating album ever been good? No, that's what I'm saying. I'm just trying to think. Do you remember that Zach De La Roca from Rage Against the Machine left the band and was like, I'm making a solo album and then worked on it for like 10 years and then was like, it's never coming out, which is the move. Rihanna just has to be like, I'm not, no, no more. Because this felt like a farewell performance and I'm happy with that. But I don't think that most people received it that way. I think most people were like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And like I said, I think it was a very good performance. It's hard to watch this performance without projecting a lot of other shit on it. And by a lot of other shit, I mean every other Super Bowl performance yeah. that I've seen. Every other performance she's ever done. And I think it's very bold for a performer to do the Super Bowl, not bring out guests, only do their own songs. Okay. That I don't understand about it is the lack of guests. The lack of guests and the lack of costume changes. And those things are so tied together because you can't have the wardrobe changes without the guests. Right. You need someone to to hide your your leaving stage. I think we need 30 seconds of Jay-Z. Jay-Z is just there to do like, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, and to do Umbrella and to run this town. That's all he's there for. And he was there, by the way. He was in the stadium. (laughs) Bring out Janet for a minute. Do control or Rhythm Nation or something. I forget what year it was. It might have been, maybe it was 2001. But that year where it was sync, Britney Spears, Aerosmith, Nelly. You're forgetting about Kid Rock. <laughs> As I ended it, I was like, I think Kid Rock, but I don't want to mess that up. Yeah. I feel like we are due from a random assortment of, well, we got that last year. And that's why last year was so good, which was the Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Mary J, Eminem, 50 Cent. That had more of a through line than Kid Rock to Britney Spears to NSYNC to Aerosmith. True, but the through line was the song Walk This Way. Very true. But I think the last time that that happened truly was when it was Beyonce, Coldplay, Bruno Mars. The the Coldplay part. I can't even wrap my head around the fact that that (laughs) happened. By the time that Beyonce and Bruno Mars showed up, they were like literally resuscitating like a dead corpse. (laughs) But that was incredible. That half was incredible. People like Coldplay. It's not us. Yeah. Oh, also, I am very upset because I did lose $100 in a bet to Tat because I did not think that she would play all of the lights because I did not think that she would want to remind people of Kanye in this particular moment. But she did. And I think it was my favorite part of the performance. Yeah, I mean, she started her Super Bowl performance with Bitch Better Have My Money. Well, that was incredible. Yeah. That was really incredible. If I never saw Rihanna on stage again, I think it would be okay. This is not me sending her off, but it really does feel like 
And I did it all for you guys. And goodbye. I'll see you at a Sephora Fenty pop-up. And I honestly want that for her. She has nothing to prove. She definitely doesn't need the money. She doesn't want to do the choreo. She doesn't want to do that Beyonce, J-Lo type Super Bowl shit. She wants to do dances with her hands. And I understand that. And it's like, yeah. Having a billion dollar brand that she can work from home much easier than going on a 70 city country tour. Who wants to do that shit? Yeah. Playing the same song every night. I honestly don't understand why people do it. I think we need to change like just the model of like what a pop star is and what kind of life they lead because you see how that sort of grueling schedule has just destroyed so many people selena gomez comes to mind immediately as someone that needs to sort of like step back and think about a different way to approach being a musician i like when artists film their concerts and then it it plays on a netflix or an hbo or something and i get to see all the angles of how they wanted it because i remember going to madonna's confessions tour and just seeing everything everywhere all at once (laughs) And seeing the cameras there, knowing that it was filmed, I was like, it's going to look better once this is all edited together. And it fucking did. And I would pay money for a digital concert. Well, it's a fine line because sometimes there's nothing better than a live performance. And it really can't be captured in any other way. But other times, if you have a really shitty seat, at a certain point, you do start to feel like you're watching one of those YouTube videos of someone filming like Taylor Swift from like 10,000 yards away. I was thinking of your experience going to the Lady Gaga show and being like an hour <laughs> late because you couldn't get through the security line. I hate that stadium. And that's where I think Beyonce and Taylor are both coming. And I'm like, oh God, do I really want to do that again? There's reasonably big venues like... The Staples Center, I will not call it Crypto.com Center. Absolutely not. (laughs) No. Staples Center, great. Yeah. Rose Bowl, great. When you get into those stadiums, shit gets fucked up. It does start to feel like a weird, dark survival of the fittest situation at a certain point. That's when you have to no longer carry a purse and put everything in a plastic bag. Oh, God. Don't even get me started on that. Anyway, I'm sure people are thrilled with our Los Angeles concert going ethics. But is that all you watch? Just the Rihanna performance? Or can we discuss some of the commercials? Let's discuss the ads. Of course, I love the Ben Affleck Duncan commercial, but it was clear to me that not as many people as they were hoping recognized that Ben Affleck was Ben Affleck as he, and I say this from a place of love, is aging a bit like a California raisin. (laughs) Okay, I mean, that's also from a place of extreme rudeness. He got all roided up in his 40s to play Batman, then he stopped, then he obviously got weird fillers, and then those are out, and then he lost weight. It's just, it's, there's a lot going on. He survived his, like, heroin alcoholism. He's, like, circled back on his, like, first big love J-Lo, and it's gone swimmingly. So good for him. And I think that him being a spokesperson for Dunkin' Donuts is perfect because it is clearly something that he loves. But I think that's true of everyone that lives in Boston. And dare I say that when Dunkin' opened up their first location in Santa Monica, they did that on purpose to be in close proximity to where Ben Affleck lives in Los Angeles. (laughs) Did you see that for Valentine's Day, Ben Affleck and J-Lo got 
got matching tattoos. It's like a infinity symbol with an arrow through it that also has that like live, laugh, love. Yeah, I feel like it might have been one of the signs at their wedding. I don't know why they are both drawn to that aesthetic. If you showed me a bunch of aesthetics they might be into, that is not the one I would have chosen. Like I feel like Ben Affleck's aesthetic is like the red socks and like that's it. And I feel like J-Lo's aesthetic is like Versace. Yeah, old Hollywood glamour maybe? Yeah. Okay. The Jesus commercial? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay, Jesus didn't need a rebrand. He's not the problem with Christianity or Catholicism. It's the institution. Right. It's kind of like when Time Warner Cable rebranded to be Spectrum. And it was like, the name wasn't the problem, guys. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's so true. So we did a little digging. CNN reports that the $100 million he gets us advertising campaign meant to promote Jesus and Christianity is the work of a group called the Servant Foundation, a nonprofit backed by Kansas-based Christian donors advise fund called the signatory not much is known about who funded this but one of the donors is david green the co-founder of hobby lobby what is that it sounds dark and twisted hobby lobby is like a christian version of michael's but they (laughs) no it's not yeah i mean they're an arts and crafts mega chain but whoa it is to michael's what like walmart is to target correct okay i learned about hobby lobby a few years ago when a court case that they brought went to the supreme court which was like well we shouldn't be able to pay for our employees birth control because that goes against our religious beliefs and the supreme court said yeah no we agree ew yeah so fuck hobby lobby gross but yeah who has a problem with jesus We just have a problem with the people at the upper echelons of the Catholic Church that are like conveniently relocating pedophiles within their organization. And the mega pastors that have private jets. Right. It feels like they saw the Scientology ads and what they've done with marketing and they were like, that's not a bad idea. There was also a commercial that made me so confused. It's two men in a bar and it starts out with one of them saying to camera, this is a Coors Light ad. And then someone goes, no, this is a Miller Lite ad. And then at the very end, they go, actually, it's a Blue Moon commercial. And I was like, what? I don't (laughs) (laughs) What was it for? I think they are all owned by the same company. So it was promoting all three of those beers. But someone was explaining to me, this is the first year that Budweiser didn't have a strong hold on the commercials right so i guess that was supposed to be the point of it i'm imagining a luxury conglomerate doing this this isn't a sailorant commercial (laughs) it's a balenciaga commercial just kidding it's a gucci commercial we have a new designer before we move on to the pamela anderson doc Can we talk about the fact that Kristen Stewart is going to play Susan Sontag in some upcoming film? Why not? I love the idea of an iconic bisexual playing another iconic bisexual, but like, don't you think this is Kate Blanchett's role? Oh. Susan Sontag, like, love her. Like, she's mother, obviously. But like, she is Lydia Tarr. Minus the, like, grooming. Is it supposed to be a younger Susan Sontag? She doesn't have the streak yet, I guess. Yeah, Kate Blanchett can do anything, but I don't know if she can play 20 again. It's wild how many biopics Kristen Stewart has been in. So she was Princess Di. She was Gene Seberg. She was JT Leroy. I don't know if you ever saw that one, but that happened. Didn't it get such bad reviews that we were like, we can't do this. We can't watch it. I did watch it on a plane. She was great. Like, she's... She's a great actress. I love Kristen Stewart. Bitch, we forgot the most iconic. Joan Jett in oh, The oh, Runaways. Fuck. 
That was where she really peaked with that shit. Because as we can tell, she surely has some things in common with the character. <laughs> They're both vegans? Is that what you mean? Um, They're man. both androgynous, sexy little freaks. I wish Floria Sigismondi was... Directing more movies. Well, had a more successful directing career that would allow her to direct more movies. But did we even see that last one that she did? Like, we're probably part of the problem. Because she didn't she direct some, like, horror movie that, like, we didn't watch kind of recently? Yes, but I don't think it was very good, and I think it just got pushed into theaters. The turning. I don't think we can judge if we haven't seen it. Okay, that's very fair. Speaking of things we can judge because we have seen them, the Pamela Anderson documentary. I loved it, but like, fuck, that was depressing. It feels like at moments she's not hearing the things she's saying. Like when she tells the story of the night Tommy got arrested, and then that's overlaid with... I mean, a big majority of the documentary, which you can't say she didn't have a hand in because her sons did produce it. So it's not like someone else took her words and then pushed it in this narrative direction. A big part of it is like, Tommy Lee's the love of my life. I've never been able to recapture that love. Right. And when she's talking about that night, she's talking about how she met this guy. They fall in love. He wants to put a baby in her. And then like a lot of men don't enjoy the, not consequences, but like the reality of having young children that you're not number one. She's got to feed and take care of these babies. And she was begging him for help. And then, you know, there's a big ellipse after that story because he went to jail for six months. I mean, they gloss over that in the documentary. No, they acknowledge that he went to jail. I think it's a difficult thing because if her sons are the producers, they're talking about their father. Which one of them punched out a couple of years ago. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I was about to say, hopefully he's not the same man today as he was then. We don't really know. But once you get a sense of Pamela's parents, you know, dark an abusive marriage yeah you understand why she is drawn to a certain kind of guy and the heartbreak of that and when she said that Tommy was the love of her life and that she's really never been able to sort of experience love in the same way before or since that is like the scariest thing in the world especially to anyone listening that may be going through a painful breakup right now like no one wants to hear that that's what I'm saying with I it feels like she's not hearing exactly what she is saying because you would hope with therapy and self-reflection time through these things that you would be able to separate like oh my parents dynamic while I'm happy it made me I'm glad I exist is deeply fucked up and I need to not follow those patterns that I saw growing up like therapy can definitely change your thoughts and your worldview, but it can't necessarily change your emotions. For sure, yes. And that seems to be where she is. But I've seen her further explain it. I don't know if she directly said this in the documentary or if it was in a Drew Barrymore interview that it's also because she had children with that man. Like there's something about for her having children with a man that that is a very special type of love. Would like to think that it is. But I think that she was never able to allow anyone else in. Well, to be fair, like she has the worst taste in guys. Don't be rude, Chelsea. She does. (laughs) She says that she dated Kid Rock because she wanted her sons to have sort of like a, a good stepdad and sort of like a, a, that stable family unit. In that sense, it's like, that's not your guy. She comes across to me as someone that has done a lot of reflecting, had a lot of therapy, and it still doesn't really change the way that she feels. Fair enough. Sometimes you have a experience earlier in your life that you can't recapture later in your life. 
But she so fundamentally associates very deep and sharp highs and lows with what love actually is. Well, she seems like, I don't want to diagnose her, but that she could be some sort of sex love addict type person. For sure. I think it's great that she's getting a chance to tell her own story, but I think anyone in her age range, that is to say Gen X, that traffics in the world and culture that she did, there is going to be some static when one is extolled as an unseen feminist icon. Like, she is still very pro-Hugh Hefner and has even during this press tour been like, oh, he's the only man that has ever empowered me, which rubs some people the wrong way since the release earlier this year or last year of the A&E docuseries Secrets of Playboy, which have you watched that? I didn't watch it, but I heard it was extremely fucked up. Yeah, it features women who accuse Hefner of recording them without consent, bestiality, which I don't know what that's about, and refusing to use protection during group sex, which I did watch that clip. Very gross. I hear that, but at the same time, that's someone that she's known for years that she has a personal, like, potentially even fatherly type relationship with. Even when someone does something bad, I think sometimes it's hard to cancel someone that you have like a very close affection for. Yeah. Not saying that we should defend Hugh Hefner, that that's cool. I'm just saying it makes sense that she would have a complicated relationship around that kind of stuff. Well, no, I don't think she even has a complicated relationship. She just loves Hugh Hefner. But I also don't have a problem with this because I'm not surprised that she had a different experience than some of the women who are featured in that documentary because it's talked about in the documentary. When Pamela Anderson went to the Playboy Mansion, it's when Hef was married and had young children again in the 90s, and it was a very different vibe than what happened probably in the late 90s up until his death. Pamela very much did fall into having a career in the entertainment industry. Like, at no point did she really aspire to be a model. She really just met the moment like a true it girl does. Yes, and like any it girl, she has stories that no one can relate to, such as all agents and producers were calling the Playboy Mansion to get a hold of her. And then when she did show up for an audition, a casting agent just grabbed her and then put her in the room for Baywatch or something. And then it was like, we're writing the role around you, kid. See, I've only seen her in Baywatch. I've never seen Barbed Wire, even though it was written by our favorite celesbian Eileen Chaikin. Oh, shit. I've seen her in little bits of Chicago, which I found to be delightful, but I would genuinely love to see her act in something. I know. I hope this does open the door to, I know we keep saying the same to white men, but Ryan Murphy, Mike White, put her in something. Surely she could be in some Ryan Murphy thing. American Horror Story season 15. Why not? Yeah. While you were gone, did you see this Netflix backpedaled from the password crackdown thing where they were they were going to institute a policy where every 31 days you would be logged out and you'd have to log back in. And that's how they were going to crack down on passwords. No to that, just because there's nothing more horrifying than having to log into your Netflix account like on a remote control. Like that that could take years of your life to do that. Can't they just find out a way that like only two IP addresses or whatever can access a single account? Somehow hotel Wi-Fi can figure out and only allow you to use the <laughs> Wi-Fi on your phone and your laptop, but Netflix can't? They quickly backpedal and they were like, that went live, but that's actually only about certain countries were doing this because us as Americans, we were like, we're we're not doing it. I have, I'm logged into Netflix on my laptop. I am for some reason logged out 
of Netflix on my Apple TV, guess what? Not logged back in. What's my password? I don't know, but it is my account and I pay every single month. So don't take that away from me. Look, to be fair, 20 people shouldn't be able to use the same password. Right. I use Tat's mom's account, which has like 50 people that log into it. Why? I have no idea. Netflix costs like, what, $10 a month? Yeah. 20 different people shouldn't be watching like 30 hours of Netflix each per month and only one person is paying $9.99 for that. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, there needs to be a, a graduating scale. I mean, me sharing a Hulu account with my dad, it's like he's never watching Hulu. What is he watching if not Hulu? Oh, I mean, my parents have everything. Tubi, Movie, Paramount Plus, Peacock. I have Peacock. I have Paramount Plus. My parents, specifically my father, is single-handedly keeping digital media alive because he not only has cable, he also pays for Paramount Plus and then also bought Yellowstone from the current season that is airing from the iTunes store <laughs> just so they didn't have to watch commercials. But I'm like, I don't think you have Paramount Plus. I don't think you have commercials there. It's never enough. Like I have all of the apps. I have yeah. a cable login from my ex that I still use like when you need an actual cable provider. Yeah. And yet it was still not enough for me to watch the Grammys. <laughs> like it took it took Tat like 20 minutes to figure that shit out. Tat your IT person in the household. Yeah. Thank God. Shall we talk about some fashion stuff? Fashion, fashion. Yeah. Pharrell is now the creative director of Louis Vuitton, succeeding the late Virgil Abloh. A man that was not on the short list that was going around a few months ago that we discussed. Right. The short list, which was all like literal fashion designers. Not that he hasn't worked in fashion for years. He, of course, has Billionaire Boys Club. And what's the one he's doing now? Human Made? Right. He's doing Human Made. And then he's also doing his skincare line, Human Race, which people are obsessed with that. Yeah, people say it's really good. What he did for Human Race is what Kim Kardashian's skincare line should have been because it's just three products. And then like supplemental ones on top of that that he introduced later. Anyway, this is a digression. People seem very interested about our opinion about this, but I just sort of looked at it and went, all right, they're continuing in this direction instead of finding an existing designer and promoting from within and just focusing on the clothes obviously they want a star creative director and to continue in this streetwear phase and i don't see why they wouldn't want to do that if the goal is to replace virgil then they need to find someone else that is also a polymath that's also tapped into streetwear who knows who to hire, who's similarly well-connected, and Pharrell is that person. It's crazy to think, though, that Kanye would have been the front-runner for this even, like, six months ago. Given this direction, it certainly seems possible. I don't think Pharrell's a bad choice. I really don't, because to me, Louis Vuitton, they haven't even been doing ready-to-wear for that long, right? It's a company that was built on luggage and leather goods. It's not like Balenciaga or Yves Saint Laurent or something. So I don't really have a problem personally with someone that doesn't isn't a capital F fashion designer taking on this role. I think you put it best. They're not finding a new designer for Vuitton menswear. They're replacing Virgil. Pharrell, like a Kanye, is someone that has always been about more than just music. He's always been very tapped into what's happening in art, in fashion, in that world. So... Why not? Yeah, I didn't realize I'm looking at this Vogue article. 
I didn't realize Virgil died in November 2021. So they took their time finding a replacement. So I would like to think he was the right person. Or I guess no one else wanted the gig. One thing I hope is that sort of a kid robot aesthetic does not enter into the equation here. I know that like Virgil, we're going to get a lot of baseball jackets and whatnot. (laughs) Not the biggest billionaire boys club fan personally, but... I do respect the fact that he wore that giant Vivian Westwood hat that one time. That was good. It doesn't say when his collection will be debuting, but he is slated to unveil new design concepts at Montclair's latest genius activation. And I always love those. What? It's just like Pharrell for Montclair? I guess during London Fashion Week on February 20th. As I was saying before, even though Louis Vuitton isn't built on ready to wear in the way that Yves Saint Laurent is Louis Vuitton is still like the biggest isn't it the most profitable fashion brand in the world if not it's neck and neck with Gucci so it is kind of the biggest job that a person could have although of course Nicolas Gasquier is still holding down the fort on the women's side of things I continue to think that the lack of cohesion between the men's and the women's collections is really bizarre, especially when you go into the store. And yes, certainly LVMH, the group, which owns Louis Vuitton, of course, is the most successful luxury group. Sales revenue of $38.7 billion in 2022. Shall we move on to Demna finally breaking his silence? Yes, he gave an interview to Vogue magazine where he didn't really reveal too much. I would say nothing more than we ourselves could figure out about the Balenciaga shoot, which is he's not a Satanist. Those two shoots were separate. There were a lot of unfortunate accidents that happened. He seems very traumatized by the whole ordeal. Wouldn't you? Of course. (laughs) I wasn't saying that like calling him a pussy or something. My biggest takeaway is that his name is now just Demna, like Cher. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that happened before or... If it did, it was, I did not know. But it makes sense. That's what we call him anyway. Just Demna. Also, I love that this article was just credited to Vogue. No particular writer, as no one on the Vogue staff felt like getting cyber bullied that week. I'm sure whomever actually did conduct this interview was like, look, I'll do it, but I'm not going to get doxxed <laughs> over this. I thought this was the most interesting quote from the article he said the provocative aspect of my work often got misinterpreted and misunderstood and I no longer feel like applying it to my designs which I take to mean no more handbags shaped like trash bags no more gimp masks none of that sort of satirical stuff that pokes fun at the notion of luxury or whatever I agree with you although I will say I do think that Demna was on this path well before this controversy like I would say that the debut of his couture collection was the beginning of him demonstrating his longing to focus on the artistry of clothing rather than stunts and totally this experience definitely quickened that transition (laughs) yeah like whenever a designer says they're going back to the basics and like focusing on like form and fabrics and draping and shit you know they're having a mental breakdown or they just had a mental breakdown because they got like eaten alive by this sort of like rat race of the fashion industry, the trends, whatnot. They had to question like why they even wanted to make clothes to begin with and like what makes clothes important and functional and desirable and stuff. And it ends up with them just back at the drawing board. 
And it seems like that's where he is. But yes, of course, he was already sort of on this path with those couture collections. Wow, you painted a really beautiful word picture. I was like, imagine, yeah, I was imagining a whole biopic and a montage (laughs) sequence where he's, you know, in a Paris atelier just drawing. As you would in any digital controversy, he was like, I was off my phone just draping and sketching the last few months. And that's what this collection is going to be, which so curious as to what this is going to look like. I think it's going to be stark. It will be stripped down of anything potentially offensive. And he says in this article that they've created some sort of board specifically for the purpose of like approving everything that the company does, which of course I understand on, on one hand, right? Like after something like this, you have no choice but to make sure that nothing like this will ever fucking happen again. What's funny is that the board that they have brought into existence is what people on the internet assumed already existed at fashion houses. And it's like, of course it doesn't. And also, what is this going to be? Someone with a magnifying glass looking at every object? It's basically like a focus group for how offensive something could be, which is like the saddest thing ever. It reminds me like... The art director, George Lois, wrote in one of his books something to the effect of groupthink is actually like the worst thing ever for the design process because it makes every single concept completely convoluted when actually all you really need to do is hire one talented person that can actually do their job and then just like let them do their job. This is an issue that plagues any commercial creative industry. This is what's going on with Hollywood. I mean, why do you think Marvel films are the way Marvel films are? It's because there is a group of people that decide what these movies are going to be. Yeah. And there's no soul to them because they pre-visualize all the action scenes. All the directors are doing is like directing the few scenes where actors actually speak to each other. That's so depressing. Yeah, we need people with taste. Like, do I like Avatar? No. Do I like that James Cameron is like, I I know better than you and this is what you're going to like. I go, ooh, okay, I like that. Yes. <laughs> no, you need people that are going to sell things to you that you don't know you want yet. And also, this is a really harsh ending for Demna and Balenciaga. Not, I mean, he's remaining at the brand, but this was already a trend, the sort of satirical $1,000 champion-looking sweatsuit, whatever the last 10 years or seven years of fashion, we are getting over that, I think, and that's partially, we'll talk about New York Fashion Week, I think, a symptom of the upcoming recession. I don't know, because that's what people actually buy, though. That's actually a functional item of clothing. I see more of a steering away from the stuff that is just sort of like very impractical and gimmicky. I think with sweatsuits, it's like, yeah, that's literally just how people dress now. But I think in the case of Balenciaga, this sort of gimmicky stuff was never the most interesting thing, I don't think. It's not like the gimmicks were the only thing that he had, like the mischief people who are making those horrible boots who have been like terrorizing my Instagram feed. I will use the mischief boots as a example or just a reflection of the $1,000 sweatsuit. Like, I'm sorry, most consumers, especially at the luxury level, are like sheeple. Again, there's a lack of people with taste. People will wear whatever you tell them to wear. Well, that's always true. Those mischief boots look terrible. I like 
hate them so much. For those that don't know, we're talking about the red bubble boots that are probably inspired by some cartoon, Astro Boy, I think. Yeah. Guys, there's even some shit where like, we can't be a part of this. I don't know. I know. I feel bad that we're even talking about it right now. We should move on. More interesting than what the next Balenciaga show is going to be is what's that next campaign going to look like? That's what I really want to know. It's going to be nothing. I think the runway show certainly is going to be like one of those comb shows or one of those Marc Jacobs shows that's just like no music. The models are just like walking out of a void. Speaking of giving nothing, because we're not doing a Kardashian segment this week either, can we talk about Kendall giving nothing for Mew Mew and Marc Jacobs? Because I almost appreciate it. Mew Mew's vibe is always like vacant schoolgirl, so that kind of makes sense. And I think with the Marc Jacobs ads, it's like at least she has those fabulous boots that do like so much of the work for her. Yeah, I think she has one face. We always talk about years ago, she was on the cover of Japanese Vogue and they gave her a vaguely gothic, very Wednesday Adams-esque look. And we were like, that's a good persona for her. Marc Jacobs doesn't need her really. Like no. the cool thing about their ads have always been like the people that they cast, some of which are like unconventional. It's like, okay, we'll get like old Charlotte Rampling or like young Dakota Fanning or whoever. It really made sense with the brand. And I don't know how much Kendall makes sense with the brand. She makes more sense with Mew Mew, which is all about like having like abs and stuff is it it's just being like a rich schoolgirl thought yeah exactly which is very kendall what i find endlessly fascinating about kendall is she's sort of personaless like i know i know she's a horse girl that loves fast cars but in a modeling aspect she's been modeling for almost a decade and it's like i got i got no read on her well she has one facial expression and you know what she's like she's a gorgeous girl so Whatever, but like as a model, you know, if the goal is to like embody different characters, I don't know how successfully she's been able to do that. Linda Evangelista, she is not. Can you imagine like Kendall trying to be a man for a Mizell shoot? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not seeing that. I was about to say, Kaya Gerber just has an unfair advantage. It's like if your godmother is Naomi Campbell, how could you not at 16 walk like? Well, Kaya Kaya Gerber is just a more skilled model, regardless of like how she physically looks. She came out at 16 with that runway walk. Yeah. Uh, Look, I'm on Kendall's side. I know that like working models hate her because she's like, I don't really do runway and it's like yeah if i didn't have to i wouldn't either seems like a lot of pressure the potential to fall and become a meme she has like that sleep paralysis shit and like anxiety attacks when she's on planes by herself it's like that doesn't seem fun i say that as someone that also has sleep paralysis issues you want to talk about what i'm looking forward to for kardashian season three give me more sleep paralysis kendall (laughs) none of this like we may renovate a house it's just kendall like waking up from a nap like crying and screaming like i do fun for the whole family yeah um into fashion week let's do it i want to start with rodarte because as someone that used to read francesca leah block's novels religiously i feel very seen by this collection what do you mean used to i've got weetsy bat on my nightstand currently yeah i could use a reread 
I fuck with it. And you know what? I've always loved Rodarte. I strongly relate to their worldview because maybe it's just being like a California girl, but I feel like they're not the kind of California girl that like goes to the beach. They're the kind that like stays indoors and watches like Ingmar Bergman movies. And that's what I relate to. Yeah, no, that's exactly who they are. Also, we still have yet to watch the movie they directed. I know the movie that was filmed where I grew up. We actually have to rectify that immediately. I think you love them because for Pasadena girls, they are the most Northern California Californians to have ever existed. No, absolutely. Also, like me, they clearly watched Shelley Duvall's fairy tale theater growing up. Well, did you read the show notes? That's their, they asked their mother to draw fairies and that's what all of those illustrations are. They just blew up their mom's drawings of fairies. I love that, which is why it feels very like NorCal outsider art vibes, which is perfect for them. And I do think I need one of those caftans. You absolutely do. I can't wait to see them go for sale for (laughs) $5,000. Yeah, great gowns, beautiful gowns. As the late Aretha Franklin once said, can you believe that Pete Davidson went to Aretha Franklin's funeral? I'm still not over that. <laughs> what? Oh, because he was with Ariana Grande at the time? Yes. Not only did he go to Aretha Franklin's funeral, but he had like a good seat at Aretha Franklin's funeral. I mean, that man's everywhere. He was even at Fashion Week. Yeah, I, I love this Rodarte collection. It's sort of mixed in everything that makes them great. Although more a specific like vampy goth vibe, which they haven't necessarily done. They've done like Japanese horror film gothic vibe. Yeah, this is like full gothic Renfair. And I don't mean that as a diss. I'm into it. This is clearly them. It in a way was a bit of a retrospective show because they brought back those punk knits that they did. Oh yeah, the cobweb knits, which is still look incredible all these years later. I think we relate to this collection so much because it's all of our disparate obsessions put together in a collection that we could never put together ourselves. Because there's also a bit of like Jacques Demy going on. For sure. Donkey Skin, his uh, fairy tale film. They go heavier on the princess shit than anyone else does. You know, but in a cool way, not in like a gross, like ball gown way. Also, I think I just like really fuck with fairies. Like I loved dressing like a fairy when I was a little kid. I love that Anna Sweet collection where they all wear fairy wings. I saw Hole once when I was a teenager and Courtney Love came out wearing like pink fairy wings and a tutu. And I just, I don't know, there's something about it. 2023 is a fairy state of mind. Yeah, it makes me feel like a child again. Should we... Keep going with the whimsy and talk about Kalina Strada. Okay, I'm terrified. <laughs> I'm so scared by the animals. I thought I was okay with the animals, and they are amazing because, to back it up, this show features models in prosthetics done by Issa Maya French, our girl, and they look like different animals. And I looked at the Vogue runway photos and I was like, okay, cool. But when I saw the videos of the models is when I felt like this deep shudder of discomfort. It is giving pastel colored Halloween horror nights a little bit. Although I think I've found my new look for fall, which is gender nonconforming chicken. Did you see that one model? No. (laughs) It was like this woman that had... A comb, like a chicken comb, not like a hair comb, like the mohawk that chickens naturally have. Okay, that I'm looking at right now, yeah. But then it's like studded. Nice. It scared me. Also, I feel like we should mention that this collection was titled 
don't eat my friends. So Colleen Estrada is clearly at the very least a pescatarian. Yeah. She's like, we're no f- fish representatives. <laughs> yeah. The designer for Colleen Estrada said that she was thinking about the economy and I feel like the prosthetics were, she was like, all right, I'm going to design like really wearable clothes and then I'm going to go ham on the prosthetics. And it's like, I mean, these are pretty insane clothing. This styling is what's insane though. They're actually not that crazy because I've seen those clothes like on a rack, like in Tat Studio. Yeah. And they look like normal clothes when they're not styled like this and worn by like women dressed as chickens and rats and stuff. What I also love when designers talk about austerity, especially at this level, is like your consumer is still going to be buying your stuff. Well, assuming you still have a brand in this recession. I guess you're correct. But anyway, that dog's haunting my nightmares. The dog, (laughs) because it reminds me of those like, dog like leather fetish masks oh those ones that are not exactly hyper realistic but no, they're not they're a little too cartoon realistic it's very upsetting i don't judge what anyone does in the bedroom i just like i don't know the dog is always a little much for me personally we all have our boundaries again these are the type of details that i'm like is zara gonna interpret this are we gonna get like <laughs> cat ears or a little like pig nose look The makeup was incredible. Not saying it wasn't. Um, Moving on to far less outlandish fashion shows. Shall we start with Prone's a Schooler? Absolutely. Did you know that it was their 20th anniversary show? Feel old yet? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. As we were discussing in relation to the Pierre Moss article a couple weeks ago, in the fashion industry, it's easy to be the new hot thing or an established luxury brand. It's hard to navigate that in between. And I applaud them for doing that so gracefully for so long. It did help that they had an it bag for like seven years going. (laughs) That did carry them through the awkward years. That's true. What was that called? Like the PS1. Was it the PS1? Yeah. Yeah, that was very much a thing. Like you'd go into like the bird store in Williamsburg and there would be like PS1s like in every color of the rainbow. Where are they now? I'm sure they're about to come back. We should start buying them on the real real now. That's true. There was one look that I was like, oh, this is so my memory of Perenza Schooler, which is just like a shearling leather coat or like a leather coat with shearling popping out of it with like a, a lace dress. That was their gift to the fashion industry or American fashion. Those kind of jackets had a real moment in the early 2000s because Nicholas Gesquier made them when he was at Balenciaga and they became super popular. Then Alexander Wang made them Proenza and it became like an instrumental part of that model off duty style, which they were part of for a certain amount of time, but they've transcended that. And, you know, they do make actual clothes, which I appreciate. It was cool that Chloe Seventy opened the show. She is the ultimate Proenza girl. But I agreed with the Vogue review, which basically said, like, could have used maybe a few more non-models in the show. It's kind of fun to see these clothes on, like, older women, people that aren't models. Like, I would be into, like, every early 2000s it girl being in this show. Especially because their whole brand, at least in the beginning, was cool girls, cool New York it girls wear this brand. And they made all of those, like, sexy, color-blocky bodycon dresses and stuff like that. But they've always made, like 
normal clothes. They've always made like beautiful coats and trousers and stuff that could look good on like more mature women. I know it's not as fun to give commentary on because it's just like it's beautiful clothes. It's, it's great stuff. Yeah. A little too expensive. Again, a little too rich for my blood. Not as expensive as Kate, which we're about to talk oh, about. Jesus Christ. I know. Someone else that also makes real clothes. Thank God. And who's about to go on maternity leave, which I read in the notes, which you don't see that a lot. I think the last female designer that I remember going on maternity leave was Phoebe Philo. Yeah, but she owns her own brand. Like, surely she's still involved. Again, this was another collection where the notes were like, you know, we're really thinking about austerity and, you know, what the future's going to be. And it's like, okay, but there are hunter green fur pants. <laughs> okay. I love that you brought up the pants because, okay, so I was in Hawaii because Tat was working on American Idol and I was at one of those tapings where all the people are like performing, but it was like in between songs. So I was like looking at the Kate show and this lovely man named Bob, who's like an octogenarian military vet was like what are you looking at and so we went through the show together and I got his thoughts on the collection. He would not wear those fur pants personally, but he did like them. And I loved the fur pants because she finally realized Isaac Mizrahi's goal that he laid out in Unzipped, which was that he said something to the effect of it's like, I always just want to make a pair of fur pants or like a fur jumpsuit, but I can never do it because something about women not wanting to look like cows. It was something <laughs> to that effect. I believe that was one of the lines you had me rip to oh, potentially the theme be song. on our theme song. Yeah, didn't didn't really work out. Yeah, out of context, that doesn't like sound great. But I understand the sentiment. And I do think that the fur pants were quite chic, as did my new friend Bob. Yeah, but Kate's price point is eye-wateringly expensive. $1,700 for a cardigan? Because basically, if you're not familiar with this brand, it basically is a slightly younger, slightly sexier version of the row. Although, like the row, they have a lot of just, you know, beautiful coats, a nice pant, like very wearable, like female-friendly clothes. It's funny you say it like that. I was going to call them Fancy Theory or Vince. <laughs> no, I think I think she's great. It's just... It is as expensive as shopping at Gucci or Balenciaga or whatever, or the row. I don't really understand it in that sense, but clearly people buy it. I just saw today they are opening some crazy minimalist boutique on Mercer Street. And they want to open 10 more in five years or five in 10 years. I forget exactly what it was, but we'll be there. I mean, this is perfect for goop adjacent rich women of Los Angeles. This is their uniform. Yeah. Well, I'm sure some of you are wondering how we could be talking for an hour and not have mentioned Aiden smoking yet again in a scene from Sex in the City. And that is because... Our thoughts about this are what we call paywalled thoughts. So we will be discussing our feelings about the current state of the second season of And Just Like That on our Patreon. So if you'd like to join us there. We will be back next week. Thank you guys for listening. All right. See you next week, guys. Bye. (laughs) 